everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Made by Women by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. At a moment when businesses face some of the biggest challenges in recent history, we bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and shared learnings to help you successfully navigate in today's environment. I'm Kim Azzarelli, and thanks so much for joining us today. 2020 was an unprecedented year of disruption. The pandemic dramatically changed the way we look at even the most simple tasks, like buying household essentials at the grocery store. Today, we'll be talking to a CEO who can give us a unique perspective on that huge disruption. She's Bindia Vakil, founder and CEO of Resilink, a company that focuses on supply chain risk management. Now, you may not know supply chain risk management by name, but you definitely felt its impact during the early days of the pandemic. Everything that you depend on to get through your day depends on a supply chain, from toilet paper to food to essential N95 masks. Each supply chain was pushed to its limit as the world reacted to the new challenges of COVID. That's where Bindia and Resilink come in. Resilink is helping companies reimagine supply chain management through software that takes into account the impact of issues ranging from natural disasters to strikes to, yes, pandemics. I met Bindia through Springboard Enterprises, an organization that for 20 years has worked to accelerate the growth of women-led companies through access to essential resources and experts. I recently spoke with Bindia about her struggles and her triumphs in bringing supply chain management into the mainstream. Her perspective on resilience provides a lesson for all of us. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bindia. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So. Tell us a little bit about supply chain risk management. I think for our listeners, it's really interesting to know what it is and why it is such a crucial topic right now. 
supply chains have been around since humanity has been around and supply chain risk <laughs> management has been just as important today as, you know, the earliest days. I think we all have probably heard some of those, um, that little limerick about how for want of a nail, a kingdom is lost. Um, I think that I would say was probably the humanity's first documented case of a supply chain disruption. <laughs> so it is, it's always been important. I think why supply chain is more critically important today or what has changed in the last 10 to 20 years is that we now have a global supply chain. We take advantage of suppliers um, overseas in lots of different countries. We ourselves are global. Certainly all of our suppliers are global. So we are now more vulnerable in some respects than ever before to these things that happen in countries that uh, we or our suppliers operate in. And a lot of times we don't have enough inventory because we've also taken a lot of inventory out over the years to become more cost efficient. Well, we've all experienced a little bit of that firsthand during this pandemic, and, and we'll get to that. But tell us a little bit about what your company does. The biggest thing you need to fix in supply chain in order to manage risk effectively is to get information. The two things that you need to know are I buy 5,000 parts, which are the countries or what are the global sites that make those? And I know it seems so simple, right? But because suppliers change, because the tools are different, there's a lot of uh, dynamic go uh, dynamic uh, shift going on. A lot of companies over time lose this visibility to that global uh, supplier base where their parts originate. That's the first problem. And the second thing is, what are the things that are going wrong or things that are happening in those countries or those cities or towns, which might affect my ability to secure the raw material I need to build and ship my own product? If we had this little two bits of information, then we could be a little more proactive, a little better prepared. We could predict what could potentially go wrong and um, manage it a little more effectively. And so you created Resilink to provide that solution. Exactly. We, were, uh, create, we created a digitalization of supplier data solution before digitalization was a thing. So uh, I started Resilink. I mean, it was still early days for digitalization. I started Resilink in 2010. The idea was to take data that was out there in people's heads, in the suppliers' laptops, not in any kind of ERP system, sitting in rows and columns, bringing it all through our network and our platform into a digital footprint up in the cloud where many, many companies could meet, collaborate, exchange this information seamlessly with each other. Well, we'll get into how it all works and some of the data science behind it. But let's start with your early days, your personal journey. Did you always want to found a company? It's very interesting. Um, uh, one of my mentors, you know, she was the first person to interview me here when I uh, came here in 2000 and uh, to the United States. And in the interview, she always tells this story that uh, I asked Vindhya, what do you want to be? What's your ambition? And I said, apparently, I told her I wanted to be the CEO of the company. And um, so she said that inside she was laughing. 
But uh, that was 10 years later, I was the CEO of Resilink. So she, she says, apparently you wanted to, you just never realized it. So I, I knew that I wanted to be at the top of whatever field I chose, uh, but I didn't really know that the path to getting there would be through starting my own company. So I know it's a long answer to a fairly simple question, um, but I will say, no, my ambition was not to found my own company, um, but that's the path I ended up taking uh, to accelerate it a lot. So take us through the early days of Resilink. How did you get it started? And, you know, were there any obstacles in your way? The journey of Resilink or the journey of any founder, I should say, is riddled with (laughs) obstacles that you overcome, as you know, uh, and each one makes you stronger. You know, whatever doesn't kill you you makes you stronger. It is very true. And it's certainly very true for us. Um, It started for me, it started with being at um, Cisco, where I was in working in the supply chain risk management space in procurement and recognizing that someone needs to start a company for this, solving this problem, because we were building some tools in house and couldn't find any company that had a plug and play type of solution. And so that was kind of the germination of this idea that there I had stumbled upon, it seemed, um, that I knew something unique and different about a space that no one else was really tackling. And it was a little bit of a niche space, supply chain risk management. um, And I ended up becoming one of the experts in this space just because of my passion for it. Risk just appealed to me. Doing something about risk became my um, purpose, you know? So it was somewhere deep inside of me that I really believe that what I had uh, to my my solution to this problem was real, unique, and could solve a very large problem for the industry. Um, and from there on, I was, uh, I will admit, the day I started Resilink, I was a much naive uh, procurement person. <laughs> I had never uh, thought about being an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to start my own company, but I had no idea what to do. What is the first thing you do when you sit down, you quit your job? And uh, it was this profound moment. And I still remember I sat staring at the screen for 10 minutes thinking, what am I going to do now? You know, (laughs) Um, but that uh, from that moment on, you know, you just talk to a lot of people. You never look back. You tell people why you want to do this. And from there, it takes on a life of its own. But it is definitely riddled with a lot of no's for every yes. And I don't want to mince my word uh, words there. I have said it many times that for every yes that I got, I got 60 no's that I had to, you know. Right. Overcome. Overcome. Yes. And those I used to call myself. And sometimes I still feel like Humpty Dumpty. You know, I walk into a meeting sometimes and I feel like I just got pounded. And then I have to kind of put Humpty Dumpty back together, put a smile on my face and go pitch it again to the next person or the next investor or the next customer. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because much of what you said, I feel like is a universal experience of entrepreneurs, you know, looking at that blank screen after you quit your job and and saying to yourself, now what? But then, you know, pushing through and then facing all those no's. I know, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but 
this idea of getting comfortable with hearing no seems so critical because if you can't hear no, it's very hard to get to the yes. So how do you deal with that? That has been one of the most difficult things uh, that as a founder, I have had to get overcome, you know, it's, it's, it comes from a deep place. So, so here's the thing. It's not just a no that you hear from uh, friends or family or someone. This is a no that comes from people who are extremely successful, extremely rich. They've been there, done that. Um, started and sold a large company. You know, these are people who are your potential investors. These are people who are your potential customers, people who you would look up to or respect. And when those types of people tell you a no, I do feel it is a lot harder to take that, find that inner, why am I doing this? Is this really help going to help? And and for me, it always took, I always went back to, no, what I'm doing is important. And here are the three reasons why. One was I've seen firsthand paying millions of dollars when things went bad and we couldn't get parts. We were losing hundreds of millions of dollars when those types of events happened. So people who are saying this no today may not have lived my life. And so they don't understand what I understand. I am an expert in my space, they may be an expert in something else, but I, in this space, I'm an expert. And go, that does not come easily, that self-confidence, particularly when you're younger, when you're um, uh, not an entrepreneur by, de- by design, when you're not, right. you know, it, it, you're just, I, I will say a lot of times I say I was a nobody when I started Resolink. You know, I had no personal brand. I had no uh, experience starting a business. And so it took me a long time to really put that no into perspective, find that deep place within me where that spark was there that no, what I'm saying is correct. The world doesn't see it today, but they will see it eventually. Right. Cause you're breaking new ground. Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, I, can I say that my biggest salesperson today is our president our, in the White House because he last week made it an executive order that supply chain risk management is a matter of national security. We'll be back with Seneca's Made by Women after this short break. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today 
in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. That actually brings me to what you've been doing during this pandemic, because if anybody didn't understand why supply chain is important when you couldn't find toilet paper or, you know, other essentials in the early stages of the pandemic, I guess that's a great example. So what has been your experience with this pandemic? The pandemic was the disruptor of disruptors. <laughs> um, when I say I have been in supply chain risk management for 21 years now, there I have lived through earthquakes, hurricanes, obviously the swine flu pandemic of 09, multiple supplier bankruptcies, um, uh, multiple force majeure issues, capacity problems. I've seen it all, but over a period of 15 years, 20 years, we saw COVID bring all of those things within the space of four months in 2020. That's COVID. Um, so it was an incredible moment for supply chain practitioners because it was the black swan of black swan event. And it moved on us. It started in one region that was economically and very critical region for our supply chain, which is the Hubei province of China. Resilink uh, AI picked up that initial alert on December 28th when the local Wuhan government asked the hospitals in the area to be on the lookout for an unknown pattern of pneumonia. We alerted our customers January 4th. And then from there on, it was this unbelievable journey of alerting our customers on a daily basis about what was happening, assessing suppliers. When Wuhan shut down on January 22nd, we had already launched a supply chain pandemic readiness assessment out to 1,200 suppliers. Now, remember, it wow. wasn't declared a pandemic until March 11th. Right. We weren't even calling it an epidemic yet when we created that assessment. And we put out a maturity model and we began doing these biweekly um, webinars telling our customers and the broader community at large what to expect. Over the next few weeks, what are the numbers to watch? You know, how will the spread affect it? How will media coverage, how will governments react? All of those things we began to talk about since January 22nd, every two weeks. And sometimes we have chills when we look back because all of those things happen. Wow. Unbelievable. Who could have imagined, as you said, this, this would be the disruptor of disruptors, but that you were so well positioned to help so many organizations. I mean, you've really been credited with bringing supply chain management into the mainstream. How did you educate people about this? Yeah, so supply chain risk management, which is the space that I uh, 
pioneered a solution for back in 2010. Um, that was not as as we talked about. There there were no solution providers as such in that space. There was a lot of consulting and all of that going on. Companies that wanted to do something in this space would do some in-house tools using in-house IT. Um, so, and here I am. Uh, and at that time, I was a ten. I, I looked ten years younger than I do today. And I, <laughs> again, remember, uh, I was an individual contributor at Cisco. Had never started another company. So when I started Resolink, it, it was a little bit of a shock to me that the rest of the world was not on the same page. I thought we take risk so seriously at Cisco. Of course, everybody knows that risk is important and it's an area that we need to invest in. And I left Cisco, started Reslink, and it was the Wild West out there. You know, everybody was so driven by cost and cost reduction in procurement that they weren't really considering risk to be a critical need, that they thought risk management was a nice to have, a side project that we would do. And I think for me, that was a huge and rude awakening. And from there began my journey of educating these very seasoned procurement leaders and experts um, about the need for doing this, uh, using data. And, um, you know, things like a lot of times people say, well, I'll just build another factory in another country or we'll hold extra inventory. Now, those types of things take billions of dollars and many, many years, Right. And your customers aren't going to pay you $10 for what they want to pay $2 for. So how are you going to fund that factory? How are you going to recoup your investment? Whereas having a risk management program with digitalization and cloud-based technologies, that's nothing in terms of your investment. And you can use that to be resilient today. So Explaining those concepts, calculating that return on investment, convincing customers, using each event as a learning mechanism to say, let's see how you experienced that event. How many millions did you pay in expediting freights or buying extra, paying extra for raw materials? And using each event as a learning tool to go um, create that awareness. Well. We're so grateful for what you did because when this pandemic happened, as we talked about, you were well positioned to educate people early and quickly. And you worked with numerous hospitals, from what I understand, to step up and fill the PPE gap. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, PPE is one of those products that hospitals buy. Um, in terms of what the hospital spends on PPE, it's three to five percent of the total dollars of spend. But when you think about the time you walk in as a patient to your clinic to the time you exit, the hospital needs PPE in order to treat, process you all the way to discharge you. They need PPE, which means the a hundred percent of the hospital's operations need PPE in order to sustain themselves, meaning you could have all the drugs, you could have everything ready to go, but no PPE, and it hampers your ability to admit patients and provide critical care. So it's one of those products in supply chain that nail, that brings down the kingdom. This is a classic example of supply chain disruptions on things we don't watch carefully or care about. So the PPE supply chain 
entirely relied on suppliers predominantly out of China. More than 90% of what we bought uh, came out of various sites there. And so when the initial disruptions began and ships began to leave China with 30% full from various ports, that PPE became a massive issue. And what ended up happening in the U.S. is the hospitals had disparities. You know, some hospitals had N95s, others had KN95s, some had different sizes of N95s available, some that they desperately needed. And because in the absence of that transportation uh, networks being available, what the local hospitals, with the, and when I say local, I mean nationwide, what we needed was a way to find the PPEs uh, inventories that were available between hospitals in country. And so what we did was obviously Resolink being a cloud system, hospitals, we have about more than 40 hospitals nationwide as our customers. We brought them together and then invited other hospitals, created a free digital, almost like a matching, a matchmaking program where the uh, procurement expert could say, hey, I have this uh, size of N95, I'm looking for that size, and the system would match a hospital that had that particular model or variety. Wow. I mean, amazing. I think what you've done in this period is so critical. And as I said, we're grateful that you started this business when you did. So you've seen firsthand how hard some of these world disasters can be, and obviously the pandemic. What makes you optimistic in this moment? I feel that um, there's always something, you know, risk, the other side of risk is opportunity, right? <laughs> that is, it's, you have, it's all about the lens with which you view a situation. And I always have been that person that sees the opportunity in risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, I feel that, um, and again, coming back to my point, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs> so I feel that the world did learn from this, you know, companies that have survived COVID and COVID-related disruptions. Um, we see this topic now, you know, you know that we we have an issue when John Oliver is talking about supply chain disruptions. Trevor <laughs> Noah is talking about supply chain disruptions. We all, 100% of humanity experienced a supply chain disruption in their personal and professional life. And so, this, to me, is that moment of transformation. It's that tipping point where risk no longer became a nice to have. It not only went in the business world from being a nice to have to a compliance issue to a national security issue. And we see this more and more across more and more countries over the next couple of years that governments will prioritize certain sectors where mandates around compliance and uh, transparency should be coming out. Obviously, the executive order came out from President Biden, creating four industries. Um, and this is very critical and quite pr uh, frankly past due. And I've said this years ago. In 2013, I, I did a webinar where I said that semiconductors have the potential to end life as we know it. Because every device today uses semiconductors from medical devices to as we go into a more electric vehicle world, there's all these routers and switches and consumer electronics. Heck, Nike shoes have electronics in them. So, right. right. So this is this one little 
minute-sized part that is now of different types, obviously, that has applications all over. And there's fast-paced innovation, which means you need to bring up expensive capacity, clean room dependency, the need for continuous water and power in the manufacturing process, billions of dollars to bring up a wafer fab. And this is the single point of failure in the global supply chain today. Well, that's fascinating um, and scary at the same time. <laughs> My last question would be, I mean, obviously you've accomplished so much and you've really shared some great advice for us, especially around, you know, having the resilience to hear no. Is there anything else that you would tell women who are just getting started, who have a dream, who want to go after it, especially in these difficult times, anything you would impart on them? I will say a few things. I mean, I think from a COVID standpoint, I feel uh, very strongly that COVID was very rough on women in general in the workforce, um, in particular, especially women who had children. And we saw news about how record women dropped out of the workforce to take care of children. So I just and I have tremendous empathy um, for the struggles every day um, that women face in keeping things moving in their personal lives and their professional lives. And the no's will always outweigh the yeses. Um, I feel also that women as in general, and I don't mean to generalize, but I do feel there are people, men and women, who take their personal confidence, who derive their personal confidence from what others are saying about what they believe in. Um, and I think that in that moment, when you're down, when you're struggling, you are hearing those no's. Remember, there's a yes right around the corner. Keep walking towards that because every no brings you closer to the yes. The question is, are you willing to keep walking towards it? And there was one very profound interview that I read several years ago during my lowest point that said that I will remain the CEO of Resilink until the day that I give up. Until that day, I will be the CEO of Resilink. So just in your personal life, in your professional life, you are the CEO of your life. And just wait for the yes. Don't let the no stop you from taking that next step. What's a no? A no is just, you know, something you put yourself out there and you put yourself out there. You got the no, you're, you got to try again. You're no worse off when you ask for what you want than where you were before you asked it. So just keep on asking, you know, ask different people and you need one person to say yes. Don't stop. Such great advice, really super important. And I think that's something that all of us can learn from entrepreneurs, non-entrepreneurs, but particularly women entrepreneurs who are trying to move their businesses forward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Best of luck and uh, best wishes to all of the listeners. I'd like to thank Bindia for such great advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. Here are three things I took from the conversation. First, we shouldn't be afraid of getting a no. After going all in and starting her own company, Bindia pushed headlong into the process, never looking back. As Bindia says, for every yes, she got 60 no's. And even though at times she felt like, quote, Humpty Dumpty, she just put on a smile 
pulled herself back together and went at it again until she got to yes. Second, as Bindia points out, we should have confidence in our own experience. Others may not share your experience, but you need to trust your firsthand knowledge. As Bindia says, look deep inside to find that spark of confidence. The world may not know what you bring to the table yet, but they'll see it eventually. Finally, perspective is powerful. As Bindia told us, there's always some risk, but on the other side of risk is opportunity. It's all about the lens through which you view a situation. You can find opportunity inside most challenges. It's just a question of perspective. Made by Women is brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.